This week in Arsenal, the Gunners fall away to Villa, Arsenal miss chances galore, a 1-1 draw at PSV ends a successful Champions League group stage, and the Hale End kids stay on the bench. Let's get into it. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome in to This Week in Arsenal, episode 38. It is the day after the PSV 1-1 away draw, and um, Sash is still out, uh, you know, still still not uh, feeling particularly well. Uh, he'll, he'll be coming back as soon as he can, uh, but I'm manning the ship in the meantime, and uh, so we're going to talk about the PSV match, but of course, I need some, you know, illustrious guests to talk about that with, so... Joining me today is, or R, it's R. Joining me are AFC James, who you can find on Twitter at James. Switch those two things around. I haven't had enough caffeine today. And then Raf, who you can find on Twitter at Rafsenal. Uh, both these guys, by the way, you can find on the... Uh... Oh, shit. Why am I forgetting the name? No <laughs> ratings top. podcast. No, no ratings. I was going to yeah, say no, no skips for some yeah. reason. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? No, it's the no ratings pod. Um, and uh, I actually really like it. I really enjoy listening to you guys because uh, it's a really good mix of like fans from like all the big, you know, I guess a big six. I don't subscribe <laughs> to the theory that there's a big six, but, uh, you know, the the bigger clubs in England, it's it's really it's really like a lot of good fun listening to you guys, you know, chat football and, and get into all that stuff. So, um, yeah. Uh, excellent, excellent pod, even though I forgot the name of it. Again, I'm functioning on not enough caffeine today. But we're going to talk about the Aston Villa match, and we are going to talk about the PSV match and uh, kind of get into some details in there. But first of all, gentlemen, how are you doing? James, you want to go first? Okay, okay. I, I absolutely can. I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Um <laughs> I have had, I've been working a little bit today. I, I'm sure a lot of people know by now. I, I tutor English to Koreans. So, yeah, I have been waffling all day um, and I will be waffling some more on this podcast. Um, and I'm just fresh off the back of a haircut, as you may be seeing, um, because I have my graduation tomorrow. So exciting times in um, in my life. Um, but, yeah, I am, I'm in a very good mood because I'm not working for the next two days as well. So that's me. How are you, rough? I am good. I'm doing all right. I think this is probably the favorite time of my year because these games just keep coming thick and fast and, you know, Christmas Christmas football vibes and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's just nice to watch all the football and inhale all the footballing content right now. And how are you, yeah, Sham? Yeah, I'm I'm good. Actually, speaking <clears throat> of haircuts, I'm, I got one later today, which is half the reason why I'm wearing a hat right now. Um, <laughs> Just because I don't really care how it looks today, but um, yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I I Raph, I agree with you in terms of you know this being my favorite time of the year. I 
I, you know, I, I grew up Muslim, so I never got to experience Christmas really. And now I'm about to marry into an Irish Catholic family. So I get to do Christmas all the time. So I'm getting into that Christmas spirit, but also, um, yeah, man, just so many games. And like, it's, you know, if this was happening a few years ago, I'm not sure how excited I would be, but you know, to, with, with how things are, you know, with the team playing as well as it is and, you know, kind of the feel good factor around the club. It's, it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, to chat some footy with you boys today and uh, James congrats on, on graduating, man. That's a big milestone. (laughs) So speaking of big milestones uh, on Saturday, we suffered the second loss of our Premier League campaign so far. And that involved us going up to Villa Park and taking on Unai Emery's flying Aston Villa. And they, you know, I think in the sixth, seventh minute, got out to a 1-0 lead and managed to hold on to that for the rest of the match, despite um, us really knocking on the door throughout the match. So I just kind of, you know, before we get into, you know, some specific aspects of the game, I just kind of wanted to ask you guys, what what do you think went wrong at Villa? And this might be a bit of a softball, but, you know, um, Raph, I'll start with you first. Um, I think the way we played, um, if this game was played 10 times, we'd win eight times, we'd draw once, and we'd lose once in, in a free club and an off chance. And that happened to be on Saturday. I think all we just did was just mess up our final actions, just mess up that final pass, <laughs> lose a bit of composure in in the final third and yeah it's just overall i'm actually the way the game went i was really happy with the performance i was really happy with the way we were moving the ball from back and you know doing all the stuff that you know arsenal does these days but just when we got around the box or into the box we just lost our head and you know what that can happen i'm i'm not going to like it's not unforgivable or anything you know it can happen as a team but yeah, it's just we kind of just lost our head around the box and didn't really take our chances because the way I was counting those chances in the first half, we should have had, like, we could have easily been two or three goals up. But, you know, what can you do? Yeah, no, I um, I, I tend to agree. I just think we, um, every, you know, every time we got into the final third, and we, we pressed them really well. I remember in the first half alone, there were like four or five times where we won the ball. <laughs> in their third and then proceeded to do nothing with it. And um, I forget who, I think it was Kimmo, but someone put out kind of a a compilation of all the chances that we missed and all the, all the final third opportunities we had that we kind of threw away just in the first half alone. And it was, um, it was really infuriating and, you know, there, yeah. And just before Villa got their, got their first goal, I think, um, I think Martinelli kind of whipped across into the back post and, and Saka, um, you know, didn't hit it well at all. Just kind of skied it to the right. And uh, you, I had a feeling kind of in the pit of my stomach when you miss a chance like that, bad things are going to happen. And sure enough, they went right down the field. But James, what's what's your take on, you know, what happened at Villa and, and kind of what we did wrong there? Um, I was just having to think and I had a look at how many teams have actually gone invincible before. And as we all know, going invincible is such a difficult thing to do. And I think that game is a very good reflection as to why, because you can be better than a team, but not every time you are better than the opposition will you win the game. 
So this was one of those games where we were better than the opposition, but we lost because we weren't so much better than the opposition. To be able to go invincible, you effectively have to be so much better than the opposition that even with the variance, you will still win the game or be incredibly lucky throughout the season. Um, that was just an example of where we were the better team. But because if we played like that, if we finished like that against a team like Burnley, we'd get away with it. We'd probably still win one or two, one, one or two nil. Um, and we'd be fine. Whereas um, because Aston Villa are already a very good team, we weren't on it. They scored from their biggest chance of the game early on. It was a little bit sloppy from us, but a very well taken chance. And then after that, you're not going to get unlimited chances against Villa. They are still a very good team. We got a little bit of bad luck. We were finished poorly overall. So, yeah, it's just one of those games that, unfortunately, you can't win. But you can get away with those if we turn up to Anfield and perform. But now we have to, the next two games are an absolute must-win now for us to, um, to, I guess, be in with a chance at the end of the season or at least draw at Anfield. We cannot lose at Anfield now because of that. Previously, if we beat Villa, we could have got away with losing at Anfield, but now I don't think we can afford to. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think we, I think we do have to get at least a point at Anfield, especially because Liverpool have now gone ahead of us in the table. But yeah, I um, I I think that's spot on in terms of the fact that you know we just we we didn't we didn't take advantage of you know kind of the opportunities that we had, and we Villa are too good for for us to do that, right? And um, I know. There were these jokes running around as soon as Villa went up 1-0 about how Emery's kind of a specialist at losing leads, or at least he was with us. And, uh, you know, people are saying advantage Arsenal. But, you know, I think Emery's still a very good coach. Maybe we'll talk about that in a second. And um, they, I think, defended decently, at least. I, You know, we still had plenty of opportunities, but I think they did what they could to, you know, to hold us off and kind of just make things that extra bit trickier. In, in the final third, but do you, James, do you, do you find yourself more encouraged, you know, kind of with a rest of season outlook by how we played or does the pitiful inability to finish kind of um, leave you with some concerns? Um, somewhere in between. I am not more encouraged because I knew we had it in us to play like that. And I know we are better than Aston Villa. And I had a feeling it would be that sort of game. So I'm not encouraged. It's frustrating, the outcome of the game. Um, but it does show if you watch how we played against Villa, and maybe they were more tired against us, but against how Man City played against Villa. And we looked like a far superior team to Man City just a few days before. So um, it's a long season, 38 games in a season. So far, we do look better than Man City. I also believe we look better than Liverpool. So as things stand, I think we are just about the best team in the league. Now, Man City still have Kevin De Bruyne to come back into the team, which is a massive thing. And as we all know, they can string 15 wins together like it's nothing. Um, so it's, it's somewhat reassuring. But at the end of the day, we still lost the game. And um, I'm not too worried about the finishing, but I hope we buck up our ideas a little bit because some stats have been going around about players like, I think, Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, all of these players only have about three or four non-penalty goals in the league each. Um, and we need to run those numbers up a little bit. 
Raph, how about you? It's just, you know, just the way it is. I've kind of already got over the match. I've kind of just put put a lid on it. So I've I've moved away from it. I think now for us, it's about, you know, just looking at the games that are coming up. Um, two games that we have recently, I think, struggled in, especially Brighton at home. We haven't won against them in two years, which is very odd. I think last season's one was a was a 3-0 at home, and the season before was a 2-1. So I think I think now it's time for us to like you know get serious about this because I think for the way we've started the season, everyone's just kind of been pretending that like uh, Arsenal haven't you know reached the top form yet, and Arsenal really haven't got it going yet. Well, we're at mid-December now, and now it's like there's <laughs> there is no more. Oh, the season's only started, and we're still like you know figuring each other out. There's none of that anymore. I think now it's just time to get into business and. The players do look warmed up. They look like they're ready to go, especially Kai Havertz. He finally looks like he's, you know, clicked and, you know, you know, ready to go, which is which is good to see because at one point I was kind of getting worried. I was like, is this guy ever going to get it going? But um, I'm glad he has. And, yeah, let's see. Let's see where where we sit at the end of this month after, I think, what we got Brighton at home, Liverpool away, and then West Ham at home. These are the three game, games that I've kind of pinned in and, We'll see. We'll see what happens after that. And then a nice run, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we get another comfortable run like we did um, from the start of September. So, you know, we need to, if Man City can do 15 games on a trot, we need to do it as well. Just, 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 just the way it is now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit more encouraged after the Villa game. Not massively, right? I still think the, the finishing's a problem and, yeah. you know, James, I have seen the stats that uh, that you referred to in terms of kind of, um, you know, the lack of non-penalty goals. And just, I think, in particular for Martinelli, the the limited opportunities really on goal that he's getting, um, you know, those those are things that need to be sorted out. But kind of in comparison to where we were, you know, a month or two months ago, where we were wondering whether we had just kind of forgotten how to attack and whether we were just going to be an ultra-conservative team throughout this year. Um, you know, it's nice to see that in the right circumstances, we we can create, you know, uh, an absolute plethora of chances. So um, that is encouraging. And, you know, when you compare us to City, um, I think City are starting to show some key weaknesses. You know, they haven't been good in the times that Rodri's been there, and Rodri is no longer with his superpower of avoiding yellow cards. So I think that's going to be an issue with them. And um, Liverpool, Liverpool are really interesting side to me because I I think they are what I'd call a glass cannon. Um, you know, they concede first constantly. They don't really have an actual six. They're playing guys. I think Enzo's better than expected, but you know they're either playing him or they're playing McAllister or they're playing Gravenberch at six. And you know they don't really. I have... think McAllister just yeah. just on that. I think McAllister is injured for a while now as well. If you saw, yeah. he was he was on oxygen and some crutches. So yeah, he'll be out for a while. Tiago might be back, but he's the most unreliable player we've seen count. in quite, quite a while. So um, yeah, we'll see. But without McAllister, their midfield is pretty threadbare. Um, yeah, I guess another thing with Liverpool. Sorry to interrupt, but is no later down the line. Right now. Arsenal and Man City have been, while we've been playing the Champions League, we've not been able to rest many players, whilst Liverpool have. 
when it gets to the later stages of the Europa League, we'll see. Maybe they won't choose to, but it's likely that they will probably start Salah in a few more games, start a few more of their starters. Um, and we know full well how those Thursday games can start to have an impact on your um, the rest of the season. So, um, yeah, there's plenty <laughs> of reasons why Liverpool should slow down a little bit. Also, um, obviously Salah's going to go away for the AFCON. And without Salah, the, the firepower in that Liverpool team is not all that. Like, I, I want to say, like, Darwin, Luis Diaz, really good names on paper, but they've got, what, like, two goals each in the Premier League? Or yeah, something Salah's like a joke. Salah's a joke. Yeah, he, Salah's um, been carrying... Salah is what we miss. Yeah. In terms of pure output, Salah's the one that's been carrying them. And, you know, Darwin has had his moments at Newcastle and all that, all that kind of stuff. But without Salah, for however long he's gone for, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, whatever that might be, um, they're going to be in some trouble unless those attackers get get into form somehow, which and they haven't. Also, also on that, obviously, Matip won't be going to the Af Well, he's actually retired from Cameroon, but yeah. he's out for the season with his ACL. And um, obviously they have Canate, but he's super, super unreliable in terms of his fitness. So behind that, you've got Konza, or who gave away a penalty against Palace, or Joe Gomez, who I think they seem reluctant to play there. And he's also there basically back up slash right back when Trent wants to go forward. So they do have a little bit of depth there, but losing Matic for the season is quite a big blow for them as well. Yep, yep. I could, I could see them trying to go for a centre-back in the January window. Um, but they need a yeah, midfielder and, as well. Yeah, no, I mean that it's that's the thing. I I think Liverpool had a very good summer in terms of the acquisitions that they made. But I was always a little unsure of them just because the amount of additions I think they needed to make in order to become a full on title challenging team. Um, I don't think you can accomplish that in one summer, and I think that's starting to to kind of bear out with you know, with how the injuries are going and kind of the lack of depth in some key areas there for them. Um, and yeah, if, if, if Salah is unavailable next month and depending on how far Egypt go, I don't think Egypt's going to make it past like the first knockout are round. You, so Salah probably, yeah. Are you part Egyptian, Sham, or where are your roots again from? Full full Egyptian, yeah. There we go, there we go. So this is, his, this is his team. Why don't you think Egypt's going to do well? So... The Egyptian national team is mm -hmm. uh, Mohamed Salah, Mohamed El Nani. Thank you. Um, but uh, Trezeguet. El Ghazi? If, if, is he still knocking about? You... Uh, who? El Ghazi? Uh, Ahmed Hegazi. Oh, Hegazi. Yeah, back yeah, in the yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, he's still, I think he's still there. Um, a little, a little on, I think he's like 31, 32 now. Um, but yeah, it's it's really if you want to be blunt about it, it's Salah and like a bunch of NPCs. To be quite honest, um, it's not it's not like the team of old. I feel so bad for Salah because if Salah had come around maybe five six years earlier, I think Egypt would be kind of a powerhouse in Africa with a lot of the talent they used to have. Um, but that that talent hasn't really come through recently. So it's really just um, Salah and like some pretty mediocre players just dragging Egypt through games. So that'll work for you against like, you know, Djibouti or, you know, um, against like some of the smaller teams in Africa. But when you're coming up against, you know, Nigeria is crazy right now. Uh, Cameroon's pretty solid. Cote d'Ivoire is always pretty good. Um, 
yeah, so I don't really like their odds. So I I wouldn't be shocked if Salah was back by like the end of January, um, with all things mm-hmm. considered. So we'll we'll see. But um, yeah, I when he's gone, I'm not really concerned about Liverpool because you have like you said Nunez and Luis Diaz, and they're they're pretty uh, boom bust. So especially mm-hmm. Nunez, Nunez might come up with two goals in a game, or he might do nothing. So um, also Nunez, yeah. just finally on Nunez is. He is an un- he is an unbelievable player at making chances for himself, but a lot of that comes from Salah's chance creation. So without Salah, you look left and you got Luis Diaz. You look right, and Jota or Harvey Elliott, and Harvey Elliott can create chances, but there's not a lot of goals and there's not a great deal of creation because Salah's assist numbers, not only his goal numbers, his assist numbers are impressive too. So. Yeah, that's a massive chunk out of them. It's like taking Saka out of us plus more. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And um, I think taking Salah is out. I think I think taking Salah out of the Liverpool team is like us losing Saka and Jesus in terms of kind of the the, the goal and threat creation that you have there. Um, yeah, so I'm not. I, I I kind of agree with your assessment that we're probably the best team in the league right now, all things considered. I think if Kevin De Bruyne comes back, that can change very quickly. Um, so you know we'll see. But yeah, I'm I'm encouraged moving forward just because yeah I I saw something that I was kind of worried was no longer there from last season. But um, Raf, you mentioned Havertz earlier, and you know we I I haven't got a chance to ask you guys about Havertz recently. So um, you know just uh, just really quickly touching on him how. Or what have what have you made of I guess his recent renaissance? Um, I'm pleased for him because I think before the the little international break, I was really worried for this guy. I don't know if he if anyone kept up with my tweets. Um, yeah, I was worried for this guy, but he's just started off really well. Like for example, instead of you know kind of paying back those wall passes or receiving the ball square, he's kind of like you know turning his body around and you know trying to kind of attack attack into into the lane he's just doing like the basic stuff that you you he was doing it previously as well but maybe like once or twice in a match but now it's way more like prevalent in his game and like he finally looks like he's understood how the system works and players around him have like kind of clocked onto his runs not all of them because we did miss a lot of Havertz's runs on Saturday and, and he was ignored quite a lot, which I'm still very upset about. But I think he just looks like he finally knows when to make those runs, how to make those runs. And the team around him have got used to him. And, you know, hopefully that can, that can you know, help him get, get, some, get some goals that, that we need from, from this guy. Because I'm not, I know many people are like, oh, you know, we're, we're you're, you know, if you compare him to Xhaka, like, you know, he he doesn't have to score that many goals, but the whole we know how that role in that left centre mid spot works is made for goals. So if if you have someone like Havertz, make the most of it and get your goals. Yeah, yeah. James, how about you? Uh, well, I was going to say something about Havertz. I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, yeah, it's weird because his f- physiology seems to have changed ever since his confidence has increased. He just seems to be doing everything with so much more conviction. He's running faster. He's dueling better. And he was dueling well before. Yeah. And this was kind of the silver lining of everything he was doing before. While he was still very poor, he was still doing the basics and the fundamentals very well. 
but now he seems to be adding parts to his game. And this is what I was going to say. Basically, people forgot at the start, and I understand why people had their concerns, because I did as well, is because he was not able to do some really simple things. And I know his fundamentals, as I say, dueling were good. But for example, not being able to take the ball on the turn was a real concern. We thought, hang on a minute, what's what's going on here? Like, you've got Smith-Rowe, who habits is better than Smith-Rowe. Genuinely, I have no doubt about that. But why can Smith-Rowe take the ball on the half turn, ch- charge into some space, but Havertz is just not even willing to do that? Um, what people didn't really consider is this guy has played in all sorts of positions for Chelsea and is now being put in quite a specific role for us in a position that he hadn't played for a while. He <laughs> typically came off the right often for Chelsea and I think it was Mount on the left and um, he also played up top for a while. So then you're sticking this guy left mid and he's so used to being that wall. Now you're saying, now you need to play 360. Now you need to play all around us. That on top of all the criticism he was getting from the media, all the criticism he was getting online, which you could tell he took personally. And um, it's not awfully surprising the way he was playing, but it's nice to see the way he's reacted himself. He he sp- came out in an interview and said he had to put his ego to the side and um, just really play for his place in the team because he's our highest paid player. He cost us 65 million. It was just about time he started showing it. And he is now, and I do genuinely believe he was our best player against Villa, and um, he won Player of the Month. Maybe a little bit kindly because his actual best performances weren't in November, but um, I'm really, really glad he did because it does feel deserved. It doesn't feel like a pity vote, and um, that will only help him further. Yeah, um, I. It, it's funny because you know we've we've had people on the pod over the last few months kind of talking about Havertz and I've had to constantly be the guy who's like, well, you know, he's doing well off the ball and he's winning his duels, you know, Um, (laughs) I didn't go that far. (laughs) Look, look. Oh man. (laughs) Look, I I tried to find the silver lining with Havertz, but I didn't go that far. But but yeah, you know, I was I was trying to defend him because I um you know I I liked the idea of Havertz, and and now you're starting to see what it could be, which is which is really positive, right? And um I think some players are just really like that, you know, where you have you have Declan Rice coming in, and I think Declan Rice is a guy who really just automatically takes on that responsibility and shoulders that burden and you know, wants to be that guy, like wants to be the talisman for Arsenal. Um, And so, you know, he took to us like a fish takes to water. But I think with Havertz, I always suspected that he was going to need a bit of time because he struck me as more of kind of um, in, you know, definitely avoid a devoid of confidence, first of all. He, um, he was carrying a lot yeah. of scars from his time at Chelsea, which is crazy because he scored yeah. them a Champions League final winning goal. But he would have good periods. And then he would he would tail off a little bit and just get abused by the fans and criticised by the fans. They do it with all of their players, so it's not wholly surprising that so many of their players are patchy in form. But he very, very clearly looked like someone who just needed an arm around him and needed love. It's a really weird situation to be in. But yeah, he was just like a shell of a player. And you could still tell when he played instinctually, 
So if I, if I don't know if you remember, there's this pass where Jorginho clips over the top. I think it was against Newcastle. And Havertz took it down on one touch and poked it in the top corner. When he still played automatically, it was still there. But whenever he had to think about a situation, you could tell that's when he felt pressure. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what we need to kind of get back to him. Him know that there's trust behind him. And I think that's what he's gaining at the moment is he's taking more risks because he knows if he fucks up, the fans are going to still love him and the players are going to still love him. So I think he's kind of warming into that, whereas before he'd get booed just if he misplaced the pass. So as I say, it's a little bit of a difference between the fan bases and maybe that's because Chelsea have certain expectations and we don't, but look at the trajectories of each club and tell me which one's right. Well, weren't Chelsea the statistically worst team in the Premier League this year, this mm, calendar, calendar year? year yeah. Yep. yeah. I think they have and not even, we're not talking underlying stats. We're talking goals and assists and points. 32 points from 32 games, I think, if I'm correct. Oh, is... God. Relegation. Really? Spending a billion. Mm, what can you say? Yeah. <laughs> I'm um yeah I'm I'm I'm, I'm just jealous. I'm very happy for Havertz. Sorry, I'm jealous. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm I'm very happy for Havertz because um you know I think I think it was a very high risk high reward signing and I think there's starting to be some hints of what that reward could be. So you know hopefully that continues on and um. I was getting real annoyed with Zinchenko when Havertz would make those runs in behind the defense. There was one in particular. Um, I forget. I want to say it was like in the 50th, 60th minute, something like that. And um, Havertz made a run in. Zinchenko literally has the ball facing the run and just turns away and plays the easy pass, which was um, really infuriating. I do, I do agree with that, but that is also the opposite side of the argument, which is if you played every single pass to every single Havertz run, our ball retention would be very poor and we would mm -hmm. let the game run away from us. So there were definitely, definitely some occasions in which we should. But if someone made a compilation of it and said, look, these are all the opportunities Zinchenko would have done it, then I don't necessarily agree with that because this is how I played football with my Sunday league team. If I saw someone making a run, I clip it over the top. It, it doesn't... Football at the highest level isn't as simple as that. So, yes, there yeah. are definitely occasions in which it should have happened, and I'm sure he would have been bollocked by Arteta. But not every time should you clip a ball. Because we saw it, we've seen it before, where we get overexcited. You saw it with Chelsea. They got overexcited against Spurs, Spurs' high line, and just started knocking it over every time rather than waiting for the right opportunity. Especially with that Zinchenko ball. I believe the one you're talking about would have had to be a very, very good pass because it would have been a straight ball and the yeah. straight line would have gone straight into the box. So the clip pass would have had to be just over the defensive line and at the right weight. So the margin for error there is small. That's why a lot of the time I think these passes are tried to either start central and go wide or even down the line because it avoids the keeper. Um, but yes, there were definitely, definitely some moments in which he should. Just <clears> I like to the opposite side of the argument which is some people don't consider that you can't do it every time yeah no i i don't think i don't think we should have done it every time i think if i think what my issue probably is with is with the pass selection itself and not necessarily the frequency of the passes um, the timing of the yeah. passes they go all wrong 
Yeah. Well, that that was another thing. It just felt like, especially in the first half, just felt like we couldn't string together more than two passes it, at a time. It's like was, we couldn't yeah. we couldn't believe how much space Sevilla was giving us. So like, do we do we play this pass? Like, are we sure we should play this pass? Both know. both fullbacks in the first half were technically so poor, and it really yeah, cost yeah. us. That's why we started the game so slowly because neither fullback could pass. It was it was infuriating. White and Zinchenko, every time they get the ball, albeit look, Villa have a decent press, but they weren't choking us. They weren't. It wasn't that bad. We didn't have to open our window to escape the suffocation. Like, um, <laughs> it, 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 it were just being sloppy. And it, yeah, it really did cost us because Villa were always going to start heavy because um, it's at Villa Park, so they were going to do that. And also because they weren't going to last the full 90 um, since they played against City a few days before. So yeah, it pissed me off that... In the first twenty game, twenty minutes, where you need to gain a foothold in the game, they they were just not on it at all. Yeah, yeah. 100%. The last thing, last thing on Havertz. I know we obviously like expect goals and assists and all that kind of stuff from him. I think one of the biggest things he has going for him is his duels and his you know ability to win duels. This is not a slight on Xhaka or like I'm not shitting on him or anything like that. It's just he's Havertz per ninety seven point two duels one, whereas Xhaka three point eight. So that's double. Um, this season, we, um, sorry, this season is that for Jacques? Or last um, season? so Jacques, Jacques last season, last season, okay, no. okay, okay, Jacques, yeah, last season, that's it. And okay, that makes sense. I thought you meant, 3. 3 I thought you meant this yeah, no, so you can see exactly what Arthur is trying to do in midfield with Havertz. And you know, we want goals and assists from him, but he's doing this side of the game as well, really well, you know. An important side of the game and one of the principles for the way Arteta likes to play. So, you know, props to Havertz for doing that as well. Yeah, I I just think he can go on to be a very complete midfielder, be very two-way. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of what we're looking for in the market at the end of the day. Someone who could do, you know, that that gritty defensive side of the job that Xhaka was excellent at, but also kind of build on and improve on you know, the slightly above average, but, you know, perhaps not high enough offensive numbers that Xhaka was producing. People, people also don't realize that Xhaka's not that old. He's, I think he's 25 years old and he spent three years rotting at a shit institution. So You mean Havertz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Havertz, Havertz is 25, I believe. And he spent three years at yeah. Chelsea where he effectively didn't improve a great deal. So we're getting a guy who is still one actually young but also a lot of his development was and i genuinely believe this that he his development was a little bit stunted by chelsea because they were flipping through managers they had no coherent system um he's the same age as Erdegaard. i think he's like a year older than Nketiah. so if people are going to say Nketiah is young then Havertz really isn't too old yeah he went yeah. to chelsea as like a golden boy level talent and then mm. Chelsea done a Chelsea with him and just like put him in this washing machine and he's just bidding around there for four years. Somehow won a Champions League, you know, because that's what Chelsea does. And, you know, they've just spat him out and he's come out as a shell of what he was when he left the Bundesliga. So he's, I think now, 24. there we go. So we have, it, time is on our side with this guy and we can, we can, it, you know, make him, make this. him what he should be. He's actually younger than Nketiah. Damn. Are you serious? That is crazy. Yep. Wow. That is crazy. I mean, and, you know, kind of as a little aside, that whole midfield triangle, if you want to treat Rice, Havertz, and Odegaard as the starting midfield, they're all 24. 
which yep. I think is, you know, really encouraging and, you know, mm-hmm. something to be excited about. I didn't know he was younger than Enkedia, though. That's, that's actually crazy. kind of wild to I'm me. Gonna, I might have to tweet that in a bit. That's quite that's quite a crazy start, actually. Yeah, I would fire that off. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Uh, I think it's very timely that um, Peter Boge... Is it Boge? Am I pronouncing that correctly? I hate being that American guy who doesn't know how to pronounce people's names. <laughs> um but yeah, Peter Peter Bowes yesterday after the PSV match was talking about Havertz a bit, and you know he said that he's now playing in his best position. He was calling him almost a perfect player, um, and Bowes worked with him at Leverkusen. So you know I think that is um, really encouraging coming from him. Sorry, James, were you going to say something? No, I was. I, I didn't realize he worked with him at Leverkusen. That makes sense. I was just going, oh, yeah. okay, it's interesting. Yeah, that. That is something I heard the commentators say, so that's not something that you know is coming off the top of my head personally. But um, yeah, so he he's he's he gave a very glowing review of Havertz, and you know if there's anyone who would know what they're talking about in that regard, I think it is him. Um, but yeah, last last thing on the Villa match, and then we'll move on to PSV. Um, I'm 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 tired of talking about refereeing um, for a number of reasons, but I think it once again played a significant role at the end of this game, um, you know, there was the uh, potential penalty where Gabriel Jesus got kicked in the, in the ankle. And Not there true. was the, the shoulder barge right into Nketiah's face when he was trying to make a run off the back of. Um, Def- definitely uh, a red. Yeah. And then um, there was of course the goal that Havertz scored at the death that was ruled out for handball. And, you know, just, just to give my take really quickly, I, I don't want to sit here and say that we lost the game because of the referees, because a, that's not the mentality that I'm trying to have generally. And B, we created more than enough chances to win this game on our own. I think the point I'm trying to make here is that I'm pretty confident Liverpool or city in the exact same circumstances would have gotten a little bailed out by, by those calls, right? Because at the end of the day, you got a penalty, you had a red card, you had a goal all on the table and we didn't get any of those calls and i think just those earlier that day just earlier that day liverpool were given yeah. a very very soft red card in their favor yeah. so um yeah and also just i guess just i'll hop onto the back of that point what we're massively suffering from is referees being i believe swayed by home big home crowds in both the mm-hmm. newcastle and the villa game and making a decision in which they're unsure and on both occasions, VAR wasn't certain enough to overturn it, which effectively means VAR hasn't done anything and the referee has made a decision on the basis that they're not sure, but they'll appease the crowd. So that that just feels a little bit shit because yeah, like it, it's a 50-50. It could go either way. Had it been at the Emirates or had it been in Villa's fate, had it been against Villa... They'd have, oh, sorry, yeah, in Villa's favour, he'd have probably gone, yeah, you know what, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And that could have cost us one or even three points that game because of it. So um, it's mad that, yeah, refs can make these decisions and people go, yeah, but VAR will help. And VAR is just not doing anything because it can't help. Um, just my quick take on the decisions. It wasn't yeah. a penalty. I, I Genuinely, that's a hill I'm really strongly willing to die on. There wasn't enough contact for it. Um, Jesus is a master at making the most out of little contact. Often, I do believe he's done enough. This time, Douglas Louise has touched him 
slightly more than a touch. He's he's made contact with him, but he hasn't he hasn't booted his leg like it would be suggested. It was quite similar to the Liverpool one. And the fact that it seems to happen to him kind of shows that most players don't have the nous to go down like that. He's just very good at getting in those situations. Uh, the Havertz handball, I think, is bollocks. But in the rules of the game, it is just about handball, which is so frustrating because I think there's no common sense in the game because his hand hasn't made a difference and he's literally done everything in his possible ability to move his hand and he couldn't. And then... Um, the I don't know if you saw on Twitter what Dale Johnson said, but this was absolutely outrageous. He said he didn't yeah. use his elbow, so it can't be a red. What are you talking about? He's he's done a basically the same as Bruno Gimarash, where he's got it's a very painful part of the arm if you hit someone with basically your forearm, and he's turned around the wrong direction. There is no reason for him to turn around that way and just clocked him. And v- the ref didn't see it, and I understand that's fair enough. But VAR should take one look at that and go, fuck, it's a red card. But um, as I say, and they didn't sh- speak about that on the Premier League review show, probably because they knew they got it wrong. Yeah, I I actually responded to Dale that, that tweet from Dale Johnson about that, and I just sent him a screenshot of IFAB Rule 12, which covers violent conduct. There's nothing about having to use an elbow in that, right? If, yeah, I know. I'll... I'll just I'll just read this out. A player who, when not challenging for the ball, deliberately strikes an opponent or any other person on the head or face with the hand or arm is guilty of violent conduct unless the force used was negligible. That's that's the rule. And I, you know, I, I just also, I just think it's big, kind of asinine to not yeah. A big, big tell with that decision was Diego what's his name? Uh, I forgot his first name. What's his first name again? Car- Carlos? Diego Carlos. Diego Carlos. Yeah, his first name is yeah. Diego. His second name is Carlos. I was going to say Diego Costa. Uh, he didn't react. If you accidentally punch someone in the face, you go, oh, shit. He didn't react. So he knew what he was doing. He just carried on running. That's a massive yeah. tell that he's accidentally... Not, sorry, not accidentally. He's turned, clocked him and pretended nothing's happened. So the ref didn't didn't turn around. It's It's mental. And then also, it was quite funny because the ref did book him in the end, having not seen it. And um, they say VAR can't give yellow cards. So apparently, so the why has he given a yellow card um, if he didn't see it? Well, the linesman can tell him to, but um, I have my suspicions that maybe VAR said, yeah, you should probably do something about it, but not a red. Mm. Yeah. Also, I, mean, I have the... a problem with the uh, handball. Just going back to the Havertz thing, the Havertz, yeah. this goal. I have a problem with the handball rule because. It hit Havertz in the hand, we saw that. It also hit Matty Cash on the hand. And I think there's obviously there's a rule that if during a goal it hits the attacker in the hand, the goal's chalked off, it's done. And there's like this inverse rule for the defender that, you know, the defender has to be like, you know, in an unnatural position and da da da. And, you know, it, it can't just hit him in the hand and it's a penalty. So there's like obviously two sets of rules for the attacker and 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 the defender. And in that scenario, like, are, are you really telling me that Havertz had more clue about it hitting his hand than Cash did? Like, why why are we why are we applying different sets of rules to these two players in the same situation? Like, if Havertz is going to have his goal disallowed because of that. Why are we getting a penalty for Matty Cash handling the ball there? Even if he didn't mean it. I mean, Havers didn't mean to touch the ball. So yeah, it's just it's just annoying the way the rules are. 
it's it's a weird difference of thresholds and yeah. you know like the the jesus penalty that's you, sometimes you get it sometimes you don't i'm not you know gonna cry over that um the enkedia the incident a hundred percent a red card i don't understand why that wasn't given and then for the Havertz thing what pisses me off about that call is that Jared Gillett is like 20, 25 yards away, not even in the penalty box. There's players in front of him. So you can question whether or not he even had a view of the call. And he, yeah. And if you can't tell, why not just give the goal and then let VAR sort it out? I, you know, the guy just decided immediately to say handball. And then of course, because you have the, you know, clear and obvious error, VAR is going to take a look at that and they're going to be like, we can't really tell whether or not you're wrong. So the call is going to stand. And this is, and this is the thing. It's not, it's not like on both occasions they've given the goal. So that and the Newcastle one, if they were consistent and gave the goal on both times and then said, oh, we're going to check it. But one time they gave the goal and one time they disallow the goal. That doesn't seem to like, it doesn't seem to line up to me. Why are you giving it one time and not giving it the other? Is it because this happens to have happened to, the team that was in the ground in which you were being pressured by and against Arsenal. I don't think there's a conspiracy against Arsenal, but refs don't seem to be wanting to do us any favours lately. I yeah, why. I, 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 I won't, I won't. Yeah. I was, I was going to say there, there is, there is that stuff coming out, coming out about Jared Gillett being a Liverpool fan. What I'll say in terms of conspiracies, I don't think there's like a, a, an organization wide mandate to not give Arsenal calls. I just think the PGMOL is not a big fan of Mikel Arteta right now. Yeah, no. And at the of end course. of the day... And it's human nature. It's human nature. But the fact yeah. that people dispute that is mental. Of course, yeah. of course they're not going to like him. He called them out. But the fact that they're allowed to then openly make incorrect decisions and their bum buddies on etc. All these media channels are backing them up. No, no one's calling them out. So, of course, the game's not going to improve. And any team or managers that does call them out gets villainized. It's mental. I think and now I he's going to miss. He's, he's going to miss the Liverpool game as well. It's a, it's a, unbelievable the way the FA have treated Arteta recently as well. I think personally, I find the PGMO very comparable to the police force in this country. And it's just, it's just when if when they get called out or anything, they'll just shell it at you and they'll just kind of like kick you out and just call against you wherever they can and never really you know take take a blame or anything like that and ironically Howard Webb was a policeman so you can see where, you can see where that comes from like it's, it's a very for them it's a very us versus them whereas just work with us like try understanding what you're doing wrong like Sure, Mikel Arteta can make a comment like he did against New at the end of the Newcastle match, but that was obviously after the match. Tensions are high, emotions are high because mate, there's millions on the line here. There's millions of pounds on the line here. They need to understand that. But it's just whenever they get called out, they just they just have this like, especially with Arteta, I guess. Just they don't they don't they don't want to see eye to eye with him. Which is Did a you problem. see what Peter Walton said today or yesterday? Oh my yeah. goodness, man. That it's is, pathetic. It's absolutely it's pathetic. pathetic. Yeah. A, a ref in Turkey got punched, and the first mm-hmm. person that comes to mind is Arteta and Klopp and blaming them. It's not even, it's yes. not even, he wasn't even subtle about it. He just straight up said, Yeah, this is Arteta's fault. Like and you're telling me what about, is about that, this, that they're not they're not making different decisions 
based on Arteta being manager, but they're willing to it, say that in public. Okay. It wasn't just Peter Walton either. It was it was uh, it was uh, was his name, uh, John Cross, Henry Winter both came out and said effectively the same thing. They're like, you know, these managers need to think twice about coming out and criticizing the refs after games because we're so close to a turn. We're not, we're not, you know, that's not going to happen in the Premier League. Um, I can't, I mean, you know, Klopp, Klopp gets pretty angry sometimes. I can't guarantee that. But, you know, I, I, I'll believe it when I see it. We just want a better game, man. That's what we're asking for. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So... It's yeah. It is. It, it is what it is. Unfortunately, I'm. I've, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed for um, that independent regulator that it sounds like the, the UK government wants to put in. I know that's only going to be you know kind of limited to business and financial situations when it first comes in, but maybe they'll see fit to extend it out to the refereeing. We'll see. But no gotta, we just got to be. We just got to make good friends with the buddies at UEFA because. Um, yeah, we've got the Champions League at least. If if the Premier League is is playing against us, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll we'll um, we'll set the Villa game aside and we'll we'll move on to PSV. And that was a bit of a dead rubber, so I don't think it's really worth it to you know get into some of the nuances of the game. But um, I do just kind of want to talk about the approach to kind of the distribution of minutes that we saw in the game. Uh, Cause there was a lot of conversation about this, you know, online and um, you know, different shows and different podcasts and stuff like that. Um, are you disappointed that, you know, some of the youth players on the bench didn't get any time or do you think Arteta had his reasons and justifiable reasons for doing so? James, I'll, I'll go to you first. Uh, I, to tell you the truth, I don't know. I don't understand why. Um, also what, I don't know if this was deliberate, but what is quite amusing is Pep today, his, I'm just checking the team now, but I know for certain that he has One started quite a young team. He has scored. Um, Bob, Bob and Hamilton started. Yeah. And, um, I suppose they are against Red Star, but yeah. So that just shows that, I don't know. I think that was Pep trying to give a little nod to Arteta saying, look, I'm I'm resting my players. Um, what's going on over there? Uh, maybe that's because their s- squad is a little bit thinner than ours now. I think that probably comes into it. Um, but for example, people like Jesus coming on instead of Juanieri, um, it doesn't make much sense to me. I'm not the manager of Arsenal Club. I never will be. So I'm not going to tell Arteta how to do his job, but I'd I'd love to know why. Uh, why? Why can't just get some experience, and why the fans can't see a player like that play? And if he's deemed too young, there are players like Ruel Waters, well, sorry Walters, who are um, plenty old enough and um, seem to have had enough experience pre-season, but just for whatever reason can't get running in the Champions League. It seems odd. Yeah, Raph, what do you think? Um, personally, I just don't care enough. It's just uh, it's That's a thing. Yeah, I think I understand where Arteta is coming from. It's his first season in the Champions League. He has a point to prove. And he will win any game where he can, when he can. Because, mate, it's just like, uh, you know, I know many are comparing him to, like, you know, Guardiola. And look at Guardiola starting the younger players and all that. He's won the Champions League three times. He's done the treble last season. So, for him, it's just all child's play. It doesn't really matter to him at this point if he loses a, a game against uh, Red Star or not. But 
I know it was a dead rubber game. Even then, if we lost that game, it doesn't look good in Arteta, and Arteta doesn't want that. And also, just just to jump on that, these players, people don't realize like Arsenal's <laughs> under 19s were rock bottom of the the uh, what's it called the youth Champions League. Yeah. So you and and people were asking basically for half of those players to start in the main Champions League away against PSG. Yes. They got battered. Like we're, yeah. we're not going to start a midfield of Nwanyeri and Lewis Skelly. I understand they are both incredible talents, but it it would have been ridiculous just to throw away a game and just unnecessarily lose. So my I don't agree that they should have started. I think there could have been time off the bench, but as you said, Raf, it it's not worth losing sleep over. The reaction was a bit pathetic from some people. And also, yeah. I know many people were scared, like, oh, you shouldn't play Saliba because what if he gets injured? And I know FK replied with that. And all I had to say was just, I went outside yesterday. I stepped in a puddle. Therefore, I will never go outside again. It doesn't make sense. Just play Saliba if he needs to be played. They they're nowhere near like they the you know maximum minutes or like minutes played or whatever you want to call it. They're like they're, we're not even at the main part of the season. These players also, it, it need wasn't, their It wasn't right. like Sporting where yeah you're right. It was in a much much more minutes heavy part of the season. They're chilling at the moment and they didn't yeah. exert themselves that much because it wasn't. It wasn't a knockout game in the Europa League. It was yeah. a Champions League group game. So most of these players... You could who started see they were playing at 50%. You could... Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's literally a glorified friendly game. It doesn't really matter. And also, also you know, these players, weeks, they need... Yeah. yeah, these players need minutes in their legs right now. They Because we need to peak at the right time. And if we're just all of a sudden, you know, missing a match here and there because, oh, we need to keep them fit... And I think also, you know, benching players because oh they need rest is such an archaic way of thinking. The we don't know the we don't know the stats, we don't know the science behind this. They have they have all the data that you need and they probably know exactly when a player needs to be benched or sat down or rested. Yeah. So I think it's um, you know, Arsenal fans, our default is to complain. That's what we've done for the last 15 years in this online space. So we've just found another thing to complain about. So we're complaining. And we just don't understand it. It's fine. Let Arteta do what he needs to do. That's all it is. Yeah. I think um, yeah. with like Souza and Walters, I, I get, I, I don't think any of them should have started. And I get Souza and Walters not touching the pitch because, you know, if you're up against, if you're getting cooked by like Bakayoko and, and Ricardo Pepe, I don't think that's, that's great for a young player's, um, mm-hmm. you know, ego and for their confidence. But uh, I do wish Winnery had come on instead of Jesus. I agree about that. But but yeah, I think, you know, this is a game where you had minutes to give to people who need minutes in the senior squad. And, you know, if you're uh, Jorginho or if you're El Nani or if you're, um, you know, like any other player who just like hasn't gotten enough minutes this season, like Cedric. I know Cedric doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but like if you're seeing some academy kid come in and take your minutes in a game where like it really doesn't matter then you know it's just it's just not the it's best it's not even it's time. not even just how they feel about it it's these players need to be match sharp these players need to be yeah. able to play 80 minutes because we might rely on them at some point and if you've gone yeah. ah fuck, fuck cedric we don't need him we don't need him all of a sudden two players get injured in the next week then hang on a minute we need Cedric to start. And you're telling me, all right, Real Walters, 
is not as good as Cedric right now. So yes, we could have given him an experience in the Champions League, but then you turn around and go, oh, Cedric, by the way, we need you. We've got a few injuries. And he goes, I haven't played in six week, boss. I haven't got any match sharpness. So it was a perfect opportunity to get some of these peripheral players ready to play if we needed them because we don't know what's going to happen and we might. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think back to the end of the 21-22 season when we'd played essentially the same 11 all year and then people started getting injured and we were throwing in guys who had not touched the pitch in months Besides. to try to save our, our top four challenge. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of a similar deal than that. So I don't, I don't really think it's a big deal. Honestly, I do think a lot of people have gone overboard with the with the whole thing. I'm seeing people talk about getting rid of Arteta because he doesn't respect our club's values. It does. It doesn't matter. It's you know, as long as no one got injured, then like I don't really care. So and just um, on the yeah. bright side, that you'll never see this team team ever again. You'll never see a pairing of Elneny and Jorginho and Cedric on as a wing back ever again. And take solace in that. So just leave it at that. But in terms of positives, um, you know, there were, I think, a few standout performers on on the day. Um, so I just want to get you guys' thoughts on that. Um, you know, Raph, was there anyone who who started who perhaps hasn't gotten enough game time who you think looked pretty good against PSV? Um, I, think, <laughs> I think Reese Nelson probably comes to mind. He, yeah. he had a good game, and I don't think... Atta has made enough use of him off the bench, I want to say. And I think this is on Reese Nelson now to just to prove to Atta, you know, I'm still, you know, good enough to come off the bench in these Premier League matches. You know, if we need more legs out wide, which I've felt many times during the season, you know, just to give us someone out wide who can, you know, carry carry the game into the into the deeper parts. And um he hasn't chosen Reese Nelson to do that so far in the season. And I think he had a good game. He, he's a technically secure player. He'll he's got he will never like you know drop drop a stinker or anything like that. So I think it's up to Arteta now if he wants to make more use of him. And I think either way, he's probably someone that has to leave sooner than later to you know just to find 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 his career and you know finally get some minutes because I just don't think it will happen at Arsenal with all the guys that are here. And I don't think being a bench player like that is really effective for your career. But he had a good game, and I just hope you know Arteta can make more use of him, and we can hopefully you know get another Reese Nelson moment like we did last season. That's all I can hope for. Yeah, yeah, I think it looked really good, and um, I agree. There have been a lot of situations in which maybe Martinelli wasn't available, or Martinelli didn't have the best game, and. All of a sudden, Trossard got subbed on to be kind of this touchline guy, and I think Nelson's just so much more suited to that. Um, yeah, I, was, I don't think I Nelson's been trusted. About this earlier, um, the I believe probably the main and almost only reason for that is because Arteta trusts uh, Trossard's output. Because I was thinking it makes so much more sense to sub on Reese Nelson as a touchline winger, but. If they both found space in the box, you would trust Trossard to convert the ball more than not. That's why I think as a sub, um, I still in the Villa game don't agree because there was a lot of space to deal with. But in tight spaces games, I would still put Trossard out wide 
But what I do strongly believe is if Martinelli isn't fit to start a game, I would start Reese Nelson because he is a much better winger, whereas Trossard is a good finisher and also game finisher. Um, but yeah, so I, I agree basically on what you both said. We need to see more of him. He made a very clear point that he isn't here to be part of that second team because he put in a class performance. And to be honest, I'd love to see him start instead of Martinelli at one game, even if he's fit, just because mm -hmm. that we've had games where, for example, Kivior played left back because we can afford it. But then Arteta will still play Martinelli and Saka. So I don't know if this is partly a case if he's trying to play Martinelli into form, but because he's I don't think Martinelli is the type of player who's especially more motivated by getting benched. He I think he's as motivated as he can be. He he's just not on it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I'd like to see Reese Nelson start a few games if Martinelli's not going to, because his output's not going to be much worse than what Net Martinelli's producing at the moment. Yeah, and um, you know, I I just think people very much underrate how good a player Reese Nelson is. I don't, I still don't think you know he's at the level of Saka Martinelli. I still think Trossard's probably a better player, all things considered. But I just think. Nelson has a really good combination of um, of pace, of physicality. He does he, he does that work defensively now. You know, he's had a few appearances this season where he's really put in a nice shift off the ball. Um, I think he's always been pretty impressive in terms of his his output, his his goals and assist record. And on top of that, you know, I think the one complaint I had about him over the years is his his decision making, but I think that's improved as well. You know, he's not giving the ball away needlessly now he's playing very well in tight spaces um you know his his technical level has been pretty reliable recently um so yeah i i don't really see much of a reason why he can't be included more than he than he currently is but um yeah that was that that was one that was one of the standout performers james is there anyone else that you thought you thought was was pretty good on the day um not not to the point where it has affected my perception on them and their role in our squad. I think like mm -hmm. Jorginho was okay first half, but again, we know his role in the squad and we know how he is. Havertz again showed some bright moments, only more of the same that we'd seen recently, but there was nothing from the game apart from Reese that I thought, yeah, you know what, you've you've made a point here, basically. I have, yeah. I have yeah. one more a player I want to give as far as Cedric Suarez. So, uh, he just needs to get his flowers because, man, his stock was low before the match. I know many people are like, oh, he's not even fit for the championship. Listen, this is probably the first game he's played in, what, like over a year, more? He's done a decent job. He's he's done a just uh, – maybe maybe he shouldn't start for us in the Premier League and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? He's been an appearance in the Champions League match. He's got a pre-assist. He's done his thing. Um, so flowers to him. He was he was pretty good in that move. He was better than I expected him to be on the day. Although I yeah, think he also had a very Cedric performance. That's all where he did. Yeah, he he did um he did some of the complicated things very well, and then he messed up a lot of simple passes. Yeah. Um, but you know that's that's the show that you're going to get with with Cedric. So yeah, I, I I do think um I feel a little bad for him because he really should have just kind of taken off and gone somewhere else and, you know, got more minutes. But he, he decided to stick around, which I respect to some extent. But also, it's a pretty good paycheck, so I understand why you'd stick around. I'd do that as well. So, 
you know, yeah. I'll, I'll do the same. Yeah. So that that leaves us, you know, out of or you know, moving on from the group stage. We finished first. Um, like I said, the PSV match didn't really have an impact on that. But I do want to take a second because, you know, what is football without being able to kick our rivals when they're down? And when we went, you know, went through again, first place, we're waiting to see who we're going to play in the, in the round of 16. United hosted Bayern Munich and they needed a win and they didn't get it. And they finished last in their group, and they are going to plummet out of the Champions League. No European football whatsoever for the rest of the season. Um, just how 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 much fun are you having with kind of the implosion that United are going through right now, James? I'll, can I'll I, go to you first. Can I just say, it, well, first of all, it's a hall of shame Champions League group performance. This, I believe. I believe one of I believe the worst actually Champions League group stage we've ever seen from an English team. They got four points in a group with Copenhagen and Galatasaray in it. That is disgraceful. And um, I just want to also touch upon the fact that there are people trying to point out as if United not getting Europa League is a good thing. They're not going to qualify for the Champions League this year. That was their only pathway to qualify for the Champions League. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why people are trying to pretend it's a good thing. They are in a bad place. Ten Hag is allowed to do whatever he wants. Uh, Onana, again, didn't cover himself in glory. But um, Viva Man United, because I enjoy watching every minute of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is a time to reminisce, reminisce, and you know, talk about all the guys who are like, United is back. Trophies are the, the currency of success and what what not, and all the you know the all the talk that we heard after a mighty Carabao Cup win. Um, yeah, just enjoy it. <laughs> what else can I say? Liverpool next. Um, it's only gonna get worse. So you know what. I don't even have anything to say about my United anymore because uh, <laughs> they're just so bad. Just let them, you know, just keep keep the energy weight away from us, man. It's just, it's just some teams, you know, obviously you want to bant on your rivals, but it gets to the point where they're just so crap. You don't, you don't even want to say anything. Just just watch it. Just watch it unfold. Just let it happen. Like I am with Chelsea now. Like I can't be asked to talk about Chelsea anymore because they're rubbish. Everyone knows they're rubbish. So just leave it at that. Dude, I um, so I, I I I went and bought a car the other day, and the guy who was doing the financing for the car at the dealership had a big Chelsea flag on the wall of his office, and I walked in and I sat down, and I was like, "Are you a Chelsea fan?" And he was like, "I don't want to talk about it." <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, no, wait, wait, wait!" Like, I just want to say, you know, I i i respect the idea that you guys are going for i'm saying you need to stick it out a little bit longer he's like no burn it all to the ground I, yeah um luckily as a, he as, didn't give yeah me- as an arsenal fan we we've been through that period we we can sympathize where someone says are you an arsenal fan you go uh, i don't want to talk about it. next question <laughs> next question uh big 2019 what a fun year for me um but yeah, I'll, when it comes to United, I'll, I'll just do a quick victory lap because, you know, I, I grew up in the 90s and the early 2000s when you had, I, I'm sure it's annoying in, in, in the UK and in London, but when you're talking to like random American guys who saw United win 
a bunch of things on TV and then decided they were going to be United fans and they're talking shit all the time. It's very special for me to, you know, to watch them where they are now. Um, but yeah, I, um, I saw someone come out today and say that United crashing out of the group stage is a bad thing for English football. I think it's an excellent thing for English football. Uh, you know, really gives the, the real clubs a chance to, um, to shine. But anyway, that's enough time on them. I, I think a fun thing to close out this pod episode with, and I've already kept you guys here for over an hour. I think a fun thing to close out this pod episode with would be kind of a quick little go around on which team you guys hope we face off against in the round of 16. Um, so I know it's not finalized yet. I have the list actually in front of me right now. So it's Copenhagen, Braga, Inter. And then it's either Atletico or Lazio. I think Atletico have to lose to Lazio to not finish in first place. So um, I'm going to assume Lazio for the time being. Anyone from Group F, because that's just a clusterfuck at the moment. And then RB Leipzig. And then, yeah. And then one of Shakhtar. Antwerp and Porto. So which one are you hoping that uh we encounter the round of sixteen and um and why? Raphael Copenhagen. Start sorry, uh, Copenhagen would be hilarious. It would be. I'm I'm how do I put this? I've got an eye on Copenhagen. I feel like Copenhagen are very quietly a much better team than we all think they are. Because I think they also gave Bayern a little bit of trouble. They, you know, battered United twice. They might not, they might not be that good a team. And, you know, they might have just had a good run in the group stage. But I've got I'm I'm wary sure, but, of Copenhagen. But Sham, remember who we are. We're not we're not Arsenal of 2019 anymore. Let's not. This is fair. If we're gonna win the whole thing, we should be dispatching of Copenhagen and um laughing at United fans while we do it. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Raf, how about you? Um, I think Copenhagen or probably Lazio would be the two easier teams to get. I know there's a couple teams and like someone like PSG might potentially finish second, which is yeah, that's that's a different thing. Imagine Mbappe at the Emirates, that'll be you know you know, it's already hard to get tickets now. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh th- there's a couple of teams like Inter as well. Inter is actually obviously they, they got to the Champions League final last season, so they're, they're quite good in that sense. Probably ideally I'd want someone like Copenhagen, but at the same time, I just want like a huge, a massive Champions League match. Because I think obviously the group that we got in the Champions League was very Europa League-esque and other than the you know the little ceremony you have in the Champions League before a match starts, at times it didn't really feel like a Champions League match in terms of the competition and all that. And then when you see Newcastle taking on PSG at their home ground and you see the atmosphere and you're like, you know what, we could do with some of that. We could do with some of that and we could do with, you know, announcing ourselves to the rest of Europe properly and beating one of the big boys at home. Ideally, I would have done it in the group stage. Um, you know where the stakes are a bit lower, but you know what? If if by some chance you have a team like you know Inter or PSG or whatever, if they somehow end up with us in a round of sixteen tie, bring it on, bring it on, man. Because, do you know? Do you know when it is yeah. when it's due to be played? Uh, I swear the matches are played like February. I want to say February. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought so. 
Yeah, the draw is on Monday, so that's something to look forward to. Because you know, I, I you know what is hilarious because I haven't seen us obviously pay, play like a comfortable round of sixteen in like ten years or more. It's been it's ridiculous. Like not in my lifetime, not in my Arsenal watching lifetime, I haven't. So this is still very new to me, which is very sad. It is very sad, but. You know, that's just the way it is. And, you know, hopefully hopefully we can finally enjoy it now. Yeah, I agree with that point where it hasn't really felt like we're, like, back in the Champions League yet. I mean, obviously that first match back in, um, you know, was 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 really special. But I, I remember when the, the draw came out and people were making jokes about how, you know, you can take Arsenal out of the Europa League, but you can't, you know, escape the Europa League. You can't, you know, all that jazz. Um it, it kind of has felt like we were in a Europa League group stage, to be quite honest. So I wouldn't mind a match against like Inter or, you know, if they some can AC Milan still make it out of the group? Is um, that, they is that, can. That, that group? That group is a mess. We'll obviously find out yeah. in half an hour what, what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it. currently Dortmund on 10 points. I think they get first spot probably. And then second spot right now is between PSG, Newcastle, and AC Milan, which is obviously we can't get Newcastle if uh, if they finish second. So uh, yeah, there's a chance either we get PSG or AC Milan, which is you know they're both big clubs and it'll be you know quite a crazy match in the, in their own rights. Yeah, I I think I'd rather take on one of the Milan clubs right now. I wouldn't hate PSG. I think I'd just rather have like one more match to, or like one more round before we have to face off with them. But I think that'd be a fun yeah. game. So yeah, part part of me wants like that that big name team for us to face off against, and then part of me wants to just get like Copenhagen or Braga, and you know just dispatch them pretty straightforwardly and move on. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm. It, it's just really nice that you know we're not we're not crashing out of our group. It's not like a a final day of the group stage kind of thing where we're scrambling to to just make it out so um it is nice that we got the business done at the end of the day and um yeah so looking forward to it and uh hopefully newcastle crashes out of their group and then i'll really be having a good time mm. but yeah um so you know, my any... expectation is just as long as we don't lose 10 to again i'm fine i'm all good <laughs> So, I think so really those days are behind us for the time yes. being. I hope so. But um, yeah, any um, I, I guess before we go, any any kind of closing thoughts on you know where we are at this point in the season? Um, you know things you'd like to see, uh, kind of for the Liverpool match, or you know what? How you guys feel on this point? Not I, 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 not a great deal, but what I just want to say to everyone is just enjoy the ride. People get so yeah. hung up and stressed about everything we're going through, about the li little things, like, oh, youth players not starting. Just enjoy the ride because it's been so many years and people are kind of taking for granted the fact that we're one point off top being halfway through the season. We will be there by the end of the season. We we'll will be, be there. up there. Exactly. So just enjoy it. And stop moaning about every game. If we win a game but don't absolutely batter a team, we've still won the game. Enjoy it. The expectations are changing at the football club, but don't let that make you enjoy the small victories any less, basically. Yeah, yeah I have to echo James's thoughts because it wasn't 
that long ago that it kind of felt like a you know thing a duty to watch Arsenal more than you know watching them to enjoy it and you know every time that I you know tap in tap into Arsenal or go to the ground to watch them watch their matches there's a sense of excitement and the, there's a sense of anticipation with the club and it kind of like feels like you know we're you know we're building towards something whereas usually at this point of the season we were like you know it felt very useless at times and it was all about top four and you know Europa League and that Thursday Sunday schedule and all that kind of stuff which was horrible uh, but yeah it's just be happy with it. it like you don't realize about the good times until the good times are gone these are the good times so just enjoy it as it is and you know be excited for the big games that we're playing you know we're going to Anfield in in a couple of weeks time to play in a title match what more do you want that's football. What more do you want? So just enjoy it. But as it is. even rough. We were there against Burnley, and it was yeah. sad how last season, because there was so much optimism and excitement, the fans were so up for a game like that. Even this season, yeah. it was the atmosphere was so flat. So I don't want us to now only look forward to the big games because yeah. it was it, it was a bit embarrassing at times. We we were told to sit down in the North Bank. That's not how it should be at Arsenal. And one of the things that made us so ferocious last season was that atmosphere. We don't want to turn into a city where every game is just taken for granted. And um, yeah, it's flat until there's a little bit of a goal and then you just go flat again. No, it took them to score for our fans to actually wake up. So yeah, I just want everyone to kind of act as they did last season and just enjoy it and cherish every moment, like we said. Yeah. Yeah. Just let's just lock I, in. I'm going Brighton on Sunday, so you know we need to bring the noise and get it going again. Yeah, I just think it's a fun time to be an Arsenal fan, and you know there's way more teams that have that potential of being in this situation than there used to be. You know, it's not like during the 2000s where it was us, Chelsea, United, um, and and Liverpool. You know, there's there's eight teams now that really could be you know, getting into the Champions League or competing for the title in any given season. So this isn't going to be forever. And I've sat, I've, I've been through hell over the last few a year, few years with Arsenal. So I, yeah, I just kind of want to enjoy it. And I want to enjoy the big games and I want to watch us bully the, you know, the, the smaller teams in the league as well and just have a good time doing it. So yeah, totally on the same page with you guys. Um, I think that'll do it for, for this episode of this week in arsenal again um i would like to thank both of you guys for coming on james you can follow him on twitter slash x at afc james raf you can follow him at rafsenal you can find both of these guys on no ratings the no ratings podcast i remembered this time the caffeine kicked in um again it's it's a really fun pod i don't i i don't listen to that many like soccer podcasts or sorry football podcasts because i i just don't have the time like that but i do make sure to tune into you guys along with a few arsenal podcasts because it's it's a fun time and um yeah you can follow me on twitter at shamsdale you can follow the pod at this week arsenal you can follow sash at lt arsenal he will be back soon and if you're watching this on YouTube, you know, please like, subscribe, comment, all that jazz. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, you know, you know the rules. So anyway, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks for listening, uh, listening to us again. And we will be back talking to you, hopefully, after a win against Brighton this weekend. Until then, take care, stay safe, and talk to you soon.
Bye-bye. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Thank you.